Thank you so very much for that good singing. Let's take our Bibles and let's head to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, as we had started in a study this evening, that is part of that series, Strengthen Your Grip. I wanted to just talk for one evening on the will of God because it's such an issue, it's such a topic. So we thought we'd spend some time on that. During this past week, during the missions conference, there was a number of kids running around the building in a good sense. They were looking for those little Lego people. That was this whole game of finding the lost, finding the little people. Some of you were involved in it. You probably most know that one of those lights up there is probably the one that most didn't get. Stuck up in the top of it at one little spot is one of those little Legos that you can only see basically if you get up in the balcony and look straight across. But um, that, that challenge to find those Legos sometimes is the way people feel about finding the will of God, that it's really difficult, it's really hard. We were talking as a family, and they were sharing with me, my son and daughter-in-law, that they were talking with one of their kids this week, and they were saying, how do I know if God wants me to do something or not? Does God speak to me? And if God speaks to me, what does his voice sound like? I don't want to miss his voice. And it embarked into a whole conversation that some of you parents are doing, that kids are interested, what does God want them to do with their life? How would they know what God wants? Will God speak to them oddly, audibly? Will God put somebody in their path, like an angel of protection being an angel of guidance sometimes? And so it gets really difficult trying to, trying to get a handle and a grip on this at times. In fact, I want to share with you different accounts, and these are true stories taken uh, from a book that is by a counselor dealing with people trying to determine the will of God. So I'm going to put a little bit up here on the board, but give you some more, and if time allows, we're going to examine these a little bit more in depth at the end. Bob has a wife and three boys. He has a good job in sales for a tool company that he has worked for for 12 years. He likes what he is doing. He's active in his church. His kids are in early teens. They love their school. They're active in such things as sports, drama, and the church youth group. Both Bob and his wife's parents Parents live nearby, which is great because they're getting up in years and in need of help. Bob's family has no problem assisting them. They're living the American dream and very happy. But one day, Bob's boss comes in and offers him a promotion to become a manager of another office in another state. More money, benefits, and more challenge that he would find uh, something he would enjoy. Bob's excited about it. He has just two days to give an answer. But when Bob goes home and tells his family about his opportunity, he is shocked by the negative reaction from his wife and kids. They have questions about school, church, their parents. Bob doesn't have any answers to their questions, and he's initially very angry by their lack of support. What should he tell his boss in two days? I'll give you another account true account taken from that same book. Susan is a young single Christian gal. She recently earned her college degree in elementary education, but so far she hasn't been able to land a steady job in any local schools nor land a boyfriend. Then she met Bill online through a dating service. He has his own business out of state. In their conversations, Bill seems like a dream come true. Nice, stable, dependable, considerate, good-looking, and a hard worker. He believes in God, but he has a number of questions about the Bible since he has no real church background. Susan has shared her testimony, and Bob has been very supportive and even encouraged her to continue to pray in the Bible. But he has said, I'm glad for you that you know God, but I'm not really sure that's for me. But keep on sharing with me. Maybe one day I will believe like you do. After a couple months of online chatting, Bill has asked Susan to marry him. Her friends and family are all encouraging her to say yes. Susan keeps thinking, maybe this is why God didn't give me a job here. I may be the one who brings Bill to faith in Christ, and I'm going to be moving to where he's at. What is God's will for her in this matter? I'll give you a third example. It's third instance of people. Dan and Lucy are a young couple with two young kids. They are doing well financially, good enough for Lucy to be a stay-at-home mom. They love each other and their kids, but they are finding that the kids are becoming more and more defiant when told to obey. The kids are also beginning to get louder, madder, and acting out when they don't get what they want. They especially show lots of anger at Lucy, the mom. As a result, Lucy is beginning to get more and more frustrated and discouraged. She even feels great guilt because she doesn't enjoy parenting her kids anymore. What should they do? What is God's will for them as parents? 
Should they give away the kids? Should they hire a nanny to better guide the kids? Should they put the kids in a Christian daycare so Lucy can go back to work to find some personal happiness? Those are real-life situations. What do people do? Some of you have been there, done that. So what do you do? Let me just summarize, and again, we're not doing, looking at one text. We're taking just to get a, th- a thought pattern out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may what? Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so let's talk about the will of God just in some broad sense. And again, we're looking at this not as a message. We're looking at this as a counseling conversation. What we know from the Word of God and from multiple passages, and I'm summarizing real quickly because this could be on for hours and hours, God does have a will or a plan. We know that. God has a plan and a will, a plan that's universal for all people. We understand that. He has a plan for creation. The prophecies, the book of Revelation we're studying on Sunday mornings, different, uh, different details in scriptures, they indicate that God has a plan. God has a, has a goal. He has a will. He has something that is going to bring us to eternity. He also has not only for creation a program, a will, he also has for people a plan. He has a will for them. Uh, Jeremiah talks about how God knew him when he was in his mother's womb and that he was called to preach even at that time. Job talks about how the Lord knew him early on in his life. We know that Paul, when he got saved, God had a plan for him when he was just a baby Christian that he should be preaching to the Gentiles. So we know God has a plan. God has a will. God has uh, an, an organized thought of how things are going. He is not sitting in heaven and winging it. Like we might wing something. Romans says that God has a plan where all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So God has this plan. In fact, we're supposed to be saying not, I shall do this or that, but if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that, going hither and yon, according to the book of James and the counsel that he gives. We know that in many ways, God's plan, God's will is absolute. What I mean by that is this, that it's going to happen. That God has a predetermined plan that it, can't, it, it is not going to be changed by you or me. That is in particular when we're talking about the prophecies, the plan that he has, that he says is going to pass. The rapture is going to happen. There is going to be the end times. There is going to be us conforming to Christ ultimately at one time. So we know that God has a plan, and in that plan, there is going to be some absolutes that are just predetermined they are going to happen. But also, we know that the plan that God has is just like his nature. It is good. It is not evil. Some people look at this and say, God has a plan. Therefore, God might, in his plan, he might have something that's awful and horrible for me. Now, the experience itself may feel horrible, but all things work together for good. God is not in this plan being evil or cruel. He is not like sometimes where you take little kids and they find a worm. They find an ant. They find a bug. And they're going to toy with it. They're going to put matches. They're going to put sticks. And they're just dangling this thing. That's not where God in heaven is dangling you and me on a string over a flame just to see what our reaction is. God is not like that. God is good. God is holy. God is gracious. He is loving. He is always looking out for our best. Okay, And so we know that God and his plan, some things are absolute, so they all fit with his nature. We know that his plan is going to be opposed. Where does the opposition come from to God's plan? Okay, Satan's one. Okay, human nature. Do we, by human nature, does it oppose God's plan? Yeah, it does, ever since the Garden of Eden. Where else might opposition come from? The world at large is opposed to his plan. You have other demons. Could Christians, or let me be broader, could God's people, could they oppose God's plan? Yeah. Do you remember what he called Israel? He gave a name for them. You... Stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. 
Okay, that comes up a couple times in the Old Testament that God had this plan for them, but they were opposing it. So let's get down to more nitty-gritty, okay? In God's plan, there's a lot of things that are absolute. But we also know that within his plan, there is also free will and decision-making that God allows us to, take, to, to do, to have in our lives. And so we look and we say, okay, even in the broad sense, God knew that the angels had a choice. He gave a choice. He gave Adam a choice. Did he know what Adam would choose? Yes. But did he force Adam? No. Adam had a choice. Does God know we're going to get saved? That we would respond? Absolutely. God knows everything. He knows all the possibilities. But did he force you to get saved? No. No. And so even we have choices when it comes to God isn't willing that any should perish, but... They have to come. They have to call. Because we know he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Does God want people to go to hell? The answer is no. He died for the whole world. Okay? And so we know that Jesus doesn't, he wants all saved, but he doesn't force them to get saved. He didn't force us. We came by part of our response to the gospel. Here's one for you. It is God's will that every Christian lives a pure and holy life. Does that happen? No. No, it doesn't happen at case at times. Have we at times had to discipline somebody out of the body for immorality? Yes. But the Bible says it's God's will even everybody's sanctification. So you have some choice in that. Let's go a little bit further. Does God, does God allow you to choose marriage or not marriage? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 7, the answer is yes. And he says, hey, listen, those of you who marry off your daughter, you're not sinning. But those of you who stay single, you are in, like me, Paul says, in this present time, you're better off because of the persecution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he says that if you marry, you have not sinned, though he is advising stay single in persecution. So there's an allowance there of people to choose. In fact, does God give you a choice of what you're going to put on your table tomorrow? Yeah, if we eat or drink or whatsoever we do. God gives us choice. He gives you choice to be, watch what you want to watch. He gives you choice of some of those vehicles you're driving. He gives you choice that you could even corrupt yourself by eating coconut this week. God gives you those choices. Okay, He gives us those things. And so we look and we say, okay... So what's this mean with the will of God and with choices? In theology, to just help understand this, what people have devised are different terms. They have devised the decreed will of God. Decreed will of God basically means things that are going to happen, that are absolute. The decrees could be this way. Is there, are we headed for a time of the rapture? Yes. Is there going to be an, an antichrist? Yes. Is there going to be uh, that sense that Jesus is going to come at the end? These are all decreed. They're going to happen. Was it decreed that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem? Yes. Was it decreed that he would die on the cross? Yes. Okay. Those are decrees that are absolutes. But then there is also where there is more freedom is called the permissive will of God. Things that you and I can choose. If we could illustrate it this way, I think this helps me anyway to understand that the will of God is like riding on a cruise ship, okay? Before you even get on the cruise ship, is there a, a route planned? The answer is yes. That's why you're getting on the cruise ship because you're going from this port to that port or back again. And so there's already a course set. You're not going to change the course by being a passenger on that ship. Okay, you're going to get on this ship, you're going to be on there, and you aren't making it move along. It's moving along while you're there and you're doing... I've never been on one. So, okay, are you doing eating? Sleeping? Swimming? Eating? You know, doing whatever you're going to do. Okay, so you're on this ship that's moving along, and, you know... You, you're in this thing that you're not controlling it. It's going to go to wherever it stops are, an eventual port. But while on the cruise, you also have an assigned area. But you also have the freedom to do certain things like, okay, I'm going to enjoy the provision of lots of food at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 
12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and I'm going to come rolling off that ship, you know, several days later. So you have those freedoms to enjoy that. You have lots of options of things you might take in while you're on the cruise. Maybe you're just going to take in the sun. Maybe you're going to take in some entertainment, but you have freedoms that you can spend some of that time within, within the boundaries of the ship, that, that, are, that have boundaries. You're in it. You're moving along. But this cruise, and in the end, you're going to end up at a port. In a similar way, God's will for you and me has some freedoms within the boundaries that God has set. And if we try to get outside those boundaries, God can bring things into our life to put up barriers. And so to guide us and to direct us. So in that sense, what we're talking about is how do I figure out what is God's will within this ship that I'm enjoying and provision so that I keep on living a life that would please the Lord so I make the right decisions in where I have choice. And so the proposal is that our goal is to learn to live within the permissive will of God. How do I make daily decisions? How do I make lifetime decisions? How do I say, okay, I think it's God's will for me to go to certain Bible college. How do I know it's God's will for me to put my kids in wherever that we put them in? How, how, is it God's will for me to purchase this car at this time? Is it God's will for me to move? Is it God's will for me? For, is it God's will for me to stay here, or for Deb and I to move along? When is that time? How do we determine that? And so in talking about this permissive will of God, there's several thoughts that I want to share with you is we don't have the same as the Old Testament. How did they know God's will? How did Joseph, who married Mary, how did he know he was to move, get up and take and go ahead to Egypt? How did he know that? The angel came to him in a dream. Okay. So how did Noah know he was supposed to build the ark? God gave him direct personal information revelation. How did Moses know that he was supposed to go back to Egypt? God told him in a burning bush experience. Okay, How did Daniel get some of his information through the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and the ability to prophesy? And you know, you have you also have how did the Ninevites know they were to repent? Did the prophet Jonah? come along and preach to the Ninevites that they were to... You look at that and say, okay, it would be a whole lot easier if God would speak to me with an angel. Should I buy a Ford or a Chevy? God, tell me. Or a prophet. Now, in some churches, they claim, the preachers claim the authority to tell you what to buy or what to wear. Okay, we, we don't have that ability. So how do we do our own decision-making? How do we instruct our kids to make decisions? I'm going to give you some broad scopes here. Okay, three different areas that will help you to determine. We don't have that direct revelation, but can I warn you, avoid what is commonly promoted today or even practiced in churches like ours. Be careful of these things. Be careful of determining the, open will, the will of God by simply saying there's an open door. Just because there's an open door, that is an opportunity, does that mean it's God's will? Or people will say, well, I'm going to go to a counselor, and this counselor tells me I should do that. Does that mean it's God's will? I'm not decrying open doors, and I'm not decrying counselors. They are tools, but they and they alone can be very dangerous. I'll give you an illustration. David is running and fleeing from Saul. When he's fleeing from Saul, he comes to the cave of Adullam. While he is in the cave of Adullam, then Saul comes entering at the front of the cave. Do you remember this story? And Saul is going to relieve himself. And what does David's friends tell him to do? Kill him. What opportunity does David have? The opportunity to kill him. Was it God's will? Okay, so you've got to be careful. Here, here's one for you. People will say, I have peace or confident. I'm confident about something. My heart tells me that this is the right thing to do. My heart will tell me it's the right thing to do to go on vacation 52 weeks a year. My heart would tell me that. Okay, what's the problem with our heart? The heart is... Bob, you, you, you just said can't trust it. Why? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it. So we've got to be careful in this regard. Because James and John, let's use them as an illustration. Twice their hearts told them that what they should do is call down fire upon the city of Samaria. Or at that other time, we're going to forbid that guy from preaching because he's not with us. And they were confident about it, and Jesus had to rebuke them. So I'm not saying that the peace isn't a tool, but be very careful. Be careful with it. 
Be careful. Now, you and I are going to say, hey, the best thing to do, what I'm going to tell you is the best thing to do is work off the Word of God. But can people hijack text or text jack the Scripture? All the time. We were just watching uh, one of the films, and it was about one of these medieval people. And the medieval person read Scripture and says, go and sell all that you have. So he made his whole life to live in total poverty and said, this is the will of God for everybody, that they sell everything. Is it really? Is that what Jesus meant when he told the rich man to go and sell everything? Was that for you and me to sell everything? You have to read it within its context. Okay, and be very careful. There was, um, there's that story. You've heard this silly story of a guy who did this. He just opened up the Bible, put his finger wherever it was to find the will of God. And when he flipped through Scripture and stopped at this spot, he found this verse, Judas hung himself. You remember this story? And then he said, oh, oh, that's tough. Let me see what does God want me to do. He flipped pages and he found this verse. Go and do likewise. And then he flipped and said, okay, okay, what should I be doing here? And says, whatever you do, do quickly. Okay. Was it God's will therefore for him to hang himself? You got to be very careful with this. You got to be very careful. When, we, when I was in training and in, uh, in uh, college seminary, there was a fella who was also in the institution, and his pastor was a dear friend of mine, and he told me about having to go to this guy's house. This guy read in the Old Testament that there, there was people that had more than one wife, so he believed it was God's will for him to have more than one wife. So while he was married, he was asking for dates on people on the campus. That created a problem. So the pastor went and talked with him. And the guy used, not only was he looking for multiple wives just because it showed up in the Bible, therefore it was okay. Um, this guy also then pointed out these verses. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. He ran with this one flesh idea and took it this way. I keep my body and bring it under submission. So he said that verse, putting those verses together, that means I can beat my wife regularly. And he did. By twisting Scripture. Is that how we find the will of God? If we're going to fool with Scriptures that way, we can make the Bible say anything we want. So you've got to be very, very careful. And so how do you and I become very careful with it? Can I give you three suggestions, three tidbits of counsel? Number one, you're going to go to God's Word. Because it is the lamp unto our feet, it's lighted to our path. All Scripture is given by inspiration for you to be completely, thoroughly furnished. Okay, so what do I do with the Word of God? I don't want to inaccurately interpret the Word of God. Here's what you want to do. Number one, you want to look for specific statements. You want to look for clear statements that says, this is God's will. And there are several. You tell me from these statements, what is God's will for you? It's very clear. It's according to this passage. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. What is God's will? Okay, God's will is for you and me to be saved. That's God's will. That's one of the wills of God. Let's take a step a little further. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. Be not conformed by the renewing of your mind, etc. What is God's will for you? What's that? Okay, it's, it's, I'm going I'm to build on the idea of surrender. Okay, you give your life to the Lord. You surrender to the Lord. And he's going to transform. He's going to work. Here's one for you. And this goes just with what you said, Mike. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What's sanctification? Okay, set apart, holy living. You're living in a way, in this part, passage in particular, you're being careful with your body that you're not doing anything immoral at all. Purity. And so we know it's God's will for you, for me, for all of us to live a pure life, to be saved, to be serving, to having a holy life. Let's go a step further. What is God's will according to this passage? Be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What's God's will for every Christian? To be what? To be Spirit-filled. To be yielded to the Spirit. To be filled with Spirit is yielded to the Spirit of God. I will do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to do. I'm letting you control me. That's God's will according to this text. 
Let's go a little bit further. What is God's will according to this passage? Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, to governors, or as to who sent by him the punishment of evildoers for the praise of, of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing this, you're going to put to silence the wicked. Obey the law. Okay, to obey the law. To respect the authorities, respectfully submit to the authorities over us unless they demand us to do disobedience to the Lord. Is it God's will that we therefore pay, pay our taxes? Now, do we have the, the opportunity and privilege in this nation that we could dispute it in, in a proper way? Yeah, we do. Or if we don't like certain laws, what do we have the privilege we can do? We can vote people out. We have that, I mean, that's a privileged opportunity for us. Okay, so what we want to do is we say, okay, the will of God for me, for me and you is to respectfully submit to the government. And we have the opportunity in America, if we don't like the government, then make sure that we do something about it come election. Okay, let's take it a step further. What's the will of God? Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What's this call you to do as the will of God? I'm sorry, what did you say, Candace? Work? Okay, do our jobs as if we're working for the Lord. Do them honestly faithfully, dependably, unless they demand disobedience to, the, to us to do something wrong, we're supposed to be good employees, exemplary employees. Okay, here, that's, but that's the will of God. That's the will of God for all of us. Here's one for you. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Okay, we're supposed to be rejoicing people. Be a thankful person, not a whiner or a complainer. Okay, that's the will of God. To be really specific, to really pointed, this could take us all week to work on. And so we, that's the will of God. There's no debate in our life, in our minds. So you have specific statements. Those are the ones that I know are specific in Scripture, in the New Testament, that are for us that says, this is the will of God. Then we also know this. Teach your kids this. Not only specific statements, but if it's commanded in the New Testament for us to do, then it's the will of God as well. Would you agree with that? If there's commands in the New Testament, that indicates this is the will of God. So we take the New Testament and say, okay, what commands are given for all believers in the New Testament? Do you have any? Think about six hours ago, a message that we were preaching. Okay, what is every believer supposed to do after they're saved? Get baptized. That's the will of God. It's not a debatable thing. It's the will of God. What else? Okay, we're supposed to be witnessing. We're commanded to witness. What else? Oh, we're commanded to pray. Excellent. Be holy. Okay. Gather together for worship. What else? Okay, build up one another. Excellent. What else? What other commands? If somebody offends you, what's God's will? Okay, you're supposed to resolve the issue if, you, if it's at all possible. And if they ask for forgiveness... Okay, so we look and we say, okay, we've got real clear commands in Scripture that tell us what are we supposed to be doing. This is God's will. As a parent, it is God's will that you train up your child in the way they should go. It is commanded that you and I submit ourselves one to another in our marriage relationship. Submitting means take your place, do your role. For Deb's role, hers is to follow my leadership. For my role, it's to give her leadership and love her. That's the will of God. The will of God is to love the brethren, to obey the parents, taxes, pay your bills, restore, visit the... Do you know visiting widows is the will of God for your life? Pure and undefiled religion is this. First and foremost, visiting the widows and going to those who are orphans. Do you realize that honesty is the will of God? Controlling your temper is the will of God? The, the, this idea of esteem others better than yourself, that's the will of God. So you're teaching your kids, you're saying you want to find the will of God, look for specific statements, look for commands. Where there's a command, this is God's guidance that you're supposed to be doing my will. While you're on this decreed ship of life, 
You're supposed to be doing the will of God, the simple, challenging, everyday aspect of obeying his commands. So we look at the commands. And by the way, these commands do vary at times in your life. Do they not? When you were a child, you had the command to obey your parents. Now it switches when you're the adult. You don't have to obey, but you still have to do what for your parents? What is the will of God? Okay, respect them. Okay, give honor to them. What else? Give care for them. Okay, and it shifts. The will of God may shift. The will of God in our parenting shifted. When they were little, it's a whole lot different than when they were teens and a whole lot different than when all of a sudden our kids are older. We'll be talking about that for uh, the Sunday after Easter. We'll talk about parenting for a couple weeks and some basic principles. The will of God. The will of God. This is it. Then there is this. If you're trying to determine this will of God, you have specific statements, you have commands that you're looking at, and then you're going to look at generalized principles found in the Word of God. There are some statements that are just broad-based statements or principles that will help and guide in making some decisions. So let's just for... For our own Bible study here, I've just taken a few select generalized principles. You define what they are based upon the passage. So we're looking and saying, okay, as we're making choices, I'm looking at the principles. Basically what I'm doing is this. I'm going to ask Bible-based questions based upon the verses I'm going to show you. We'll give you several verses and you say, okay, what question should I ask if I'm deciding about school, if I'm deciding about marriage, if I'm deciding about Okay, and there's, there's many more questions that could be asked. We could go into far more detail, especially like the character of an individual if we're talking about marriage. But just generalized principles for now for the sake of time. Okay, according to this verse, okay, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's add to that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Let's go a little bit further. Walk as children of light while proving what is acceptable or pleasing unto the Lord. What question should you ask when it comes... Let's, you're choosing whether or not to work at a certain place. Okay. That's excellent. Okay, is it going to help me to glorify God? That's even building more upon it. That's excellent. So what we want to do with this is basically, I want to be honoring the Lord. Will whatever I decide, whatever this situation is, will it help me to accomplish this goal that God has set for me to glorify and to please Him? Or does it have the potential? The potential is always there for all of us. But if I put myself in a certain situation, do I put myself in a way that I could be pulled away from the Lord? Okay, if that's the case then this may not be what God wants you to be doing. Based on a general truth of Scripture that we are to glorify God, please God. We're to put God first, okay? And so with that in mind, that's a, that's a tremendous question we have to ask. Will this help me to achieve the goal of putting God first in my life? By the way, that plays into a lot of, a lot of questions that we deal with in life. You know, that a lot of this, a lot of, you know, is it okay if we go this place? Or what about the, how close should we get with certain individuals? This has tremendous impact. Let me, generalize principle. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Do you know what he's talking about in this text? Do you remember? He's talking about communion, fellowship with the unbelievers, the unbelievers. And he's saying, you know, just come out from this, this close relationship that um, could cause some major problems. What's the question? It can't be, should I, should I talk to lost people? It can't be that. Because are you supposed to talk to lost people? That's will God. Where do you want to go with this one? Okay, that's a possibility. In fact, we're going to get to that one even more pointedly. You've got to set boundaries here. You've got to set boundaries. My question is, is this going to create an unholy, intimate alliance? Okay, well, make an application to that. Marriage. Is it God's will for Christians to marry the unsaved? That's not to be unequally yoked. 
okay? To come out from among, and I should have put that verse up there as well, would have been better. Um, but the idea of be very careful with, with the ties. You're, you're debating, should I go into partnership in a business with somebody who's lost, who has a totally different set of ethics and whatever? You better consider this. Better consider what you're yoking up with, and what you're doing, okay? Because God's guidance is be careful of intimate commitments and relationships with people who are not saved. It's not that you're better than them, but it's just the idea that they may have different standards from you and the compromise. Let's do this passage. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not necessary, expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of enemy, any. In other words, I can do stuff, but I don't want to make provision for the flesh. What would you ask a question? Okay, that's, a, that's headed that, that direction. That's getting even more right at the nail on the head. Okay. Basically, I'm going to ask this question. Does this open the door for temptations that I'm struggling with? What could this thing control me? I'll give you an illustration. Okay of people that struggle all the time. So you get saved, and you are one of these individuals that you just love sports. You are athletic. I mean, there's not a sport you can't do. And you just love sports, so much so that the sports in the past have been your God. And it just dominated your life, your thought pattern, and it just controlled you. Now you come to Jesus Christ, and you say, Is, are, are sports evil? Okay, some of you can't do a thing of sports might say, yeah. Okay, but generally, are sports innately bad? No, no. Okay, they're not innately bad. But could they be bad for somebody who gets totally controlled by them and pull them away from the Lord? So for some people, it might be a phase in their life until they can get control. It may not be the will of God for them to yoke up with sports. Yes, does that make sense? Because it might draw them away. Can that happen with cars? Can that happen with hunting? Oh, see how quiet we got? Okay. We got quiet. We don't want to meddle, Wayne. Come on, stay out of it. It can happen with anything. Okay. But you're determining what is God's will for your life, for what you've experienced. And for me, there were some things that just, hey, I, I just got to stay away from it. I just have to, have to put barriers because otherwise it's going to suck me back in. And so you have to determine some of that, that what is, is it going to control me or I control it or, and or will it create some, will it feed into my weaknesses? It might be certain jobs. I'll, get, I'll give you one, okay? If there's an attraction, I'm, I'm going to use a horrible example. You're working and you find yourself being attracted to a coworker inappropriately. Okay? And you've gotten away from that individual. And all of a sudden you find out that they say, hey, listen, why don't you work that other shift and that other person's going to that shift? The will of God for you is stay away from that. Don't put yourself in a tempting situation. Now, that's a really drastic scenario, but that happens. In even choosing jobs. Let's go a little bit further. Do not love the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father. The world passes away, the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. What's the question you're going to ask? I'm sorry. Okay. Is this focusing here on heaven? Again, we're right back to what does this do for me? Does this promoting that worldliness, does this help me to just, you know, where am I at? You know, and you've got to be really honest. And the problem with us is we give ourselves too much credit at times. Okay, we think that we are stronger than what often we are. And so you've got to be very careful. I'll give you another one here, okay? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body question has to be, and this is God's will. God is concerned about your body. So what do you have to ask? How will this affect my body? Okay, that's got to be a serious question you got to ask. Okay, what does this do for me physically? 
Could there be scenarios where you say, this is, this is something I should stay away from, something that I have to avoid? This isn't God's will at this point that I go and... Maybe it's not God's will for you to invest in one of those, one of those um, companies that sends you food so much, the, you know, the dainties, because this isn't something that's good for your body at this time. And so you have to determine, being very honest, let your light so shine. Joyce, you mentioned a comment a couple of times ago. You said about testimony. I think you were the one that piped up, how does this effect? Let your light so shine before men that, you may, that, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Take heed lest by any means your liberty stumbling block to another person. Abstain all appearance of evil. What, what is he concerned about here? Okay, your testimony how it's viewed by others. So you have to ask a question, will this help or hinder my Christian testimony, my witness? Can that impact decisions we make should we be concerned about how it influences other people? Yes or no? It's my life. I can do what I want. That's not true. That's not true. My life is not my own. We are bought with a price. We do have a responsibility to one another. Yes or no? Okay, how we affect other Christians. By example, do we have to be careful in the will of God by being careful what we choose to do at times with purchases, with activities, with entertainments? The answer is, yes, there should be caution taken. There should be care and concern. I don't, I don't want to be dictated by somebody's whim, but I do have the responsibility not to stumble weaker Christians. For if we do, we sin against Christ. So we have to be careful in that regard. Here's one for you. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. The wife reverence the husband. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I have to ask this question. If I'm making a life decision, how does this affect my family? How does this affect our relationship? So I get a job offer that they are going to say, we are going to let you make a million dollars a year. I'm going to make a million dollars a year by working for this company, but I have to work six days a week, 12 hours a day, and there's going to be all kinds of wonderful benefits. However... Who is going to be suffering on that one? Number one, me and my body. Okay, But what's the reality of most everybody in this room? What relationships are going to suffer? Family. Family's going to suffer. That's not God's will for your life then. You know, what is more important than money? Family. Family. That is God's will for us to make sure we have these priorities. So we go a little bit further, that says this, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's he talking about? Attending church worship, yes, yes. So making decisions, should we ask the question, how will this affect my church? I want to take it a step further. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, submit yourselves to them. What does God want people in the church to do? Just come, sit. What? To serve. To serve, to minister. So question I have to ask is, okay, if I do this, if I make this purchase, if we move here, if I take this job, how will it affect my church involvement? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say that because I'm a preacher. No, we're supposed to say it because this is biblical. It needs to be considered. Let's take a step step further, okay? Here we go. Providing for things honest, not only in sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. Having a good conscience that people may speak evil, they're ashamed. Provide things honest. What is God's will according to this verse? These verses. What is God's will for you? Okay, they have honesty. So, does it ever happen that you might get a job offer, but they're going to ask you to lie? Would that ever happen? Okay, so will this result in me doing something that is unethical, dishonest, deceitful? 
If it is dishonest, deceitful, unethical, then you should say no. Take another question here. Owe no man anything. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and raiment, let us be content. Question, is this best for me and my family financially? So, I, I, you know, should I purchase... I'm not going to try to ruin your business, brother. Should I purchase a brand new car? How do I determine the will of God? Can I afford it? And can I afford it in a way that's not going to strap me to have to do extra, 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 extra hours and takes me away from the Lord and my family and my church involvement. There's that domino effect. But it is a biblical principle that we have to evaluate where does this put me financially? Does this put me... I want to buy a new house. I want a house that has all the luxuries. I want to make sure that in that house it has chairs that... Yeah, that's wonderful. And I want to make sure all the stuff, you know, and then if I want to get out of the chair, I don't even have to work. It just lifts me right up. And it has all these things. And it's going to be a wonderful house. Deb, we won't even have to go upstairs. We'll just go on this little conveyor belt and it'll move us along. And we just throw our laundry in the automatic washer and it just does it. It folds it. It does all the things, the ironing. This is going to be, a, this is going to be the dream house. Problem is, um, I may not be able to afford it, but it's my dream. It's not God's will. It just isn't God's will that's going to cause all that issue. Here we go. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ, leaving us an example every time I should ask, would Jesus do this? Is this something Jesus would get involved in or would he do? Or is it just me and my selfish desires? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, good report, think on these things. Those things which you have learned, received, and heard. Study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. My thought that I would have to ask, and I did when we were talking about where our kids would go to school, where they would, where they would see, get their education, where is God leading me for education, will this needlessly expose me or my family to bad influences, bad teachings? We are the product of our teachers. And so we have to be cautious. We have to be careful. What are we, in, what are we exposing ourselves to? Here's another, another principle. Know well the condition of your flocks. This one sounds weird. Okay? If you look at it, just read and say, what in the world are you talking about, Birdraft? He goes, every prudent man acts with knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. Then he gives parables of the... Remember the parables of the man who's going to war and the man who's building? What, what's the whole point? Counting the cost. Planning ahead. That's the idea of knowing the, well the condition of your flocks. You know your status. That's the idea of you act with knowledge. You're thinking this through. Have I taken the time to consider all the facts or am I just being rash? Am I considering consequences, facts? Have, am I putting the right research into it? A man's plans are, a uh, man's heart plans. The Lord directs his steps. The way of was right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to counsel. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Here's your principle, generalized principle. What do circumstances, counsel, and common sense point me towards? Is, is the idea of open doors, is, does it have a play? Sure. Does it have a play what other people say? Sure. But they're not primary. They are going by the word of God, but they are involved in there. What is, a, what is somebody wise telling me? What are the, the circumstances? What is this, the situation? It, I'll take this job. It's got a wonderful, wonderful um, pay, but I don't have any of the skill set. <laughs> okay, common sense, planning is definitely involved. Is the issue of eating meat or not meat, he says. He that doubts is damned if he eats because he eats not of faith. If there is inner turmoil, now we're talking about the peace of God. Is there still inner turmoil or doubts or great uncertainty? Then don't do it. Let it go. If, you, if in doubt, punt. And don't commit yourself to those situations. So you have all of this that's put together talking about practical ways. We would define it this way. 
that in the process, teach your kids this process, what you need to do is pray and prioritize. That's where you start. You pray and say, God, what is the priorities of my life? And you may even want to do this. List it out. List all these things out. What is the priority? What is the most important things? And be honest about this. And evaluate according to the Word of God. What, where does this fall when it comes to my priorities of life? So you prioritize and you ask, doesn't line up with God's standard. Then the second step is you have to consider all your options. You're looking and saying, okay, what, if I'm buying a car, what are my options? What can I afford? What, what's there? Buying a house, taking a job, what are my options? Choosing a church, what are my options? Looking for somebody to marry, what are my options? Evaluate them, list them out, and then do some research. Research in, in marriage is modern day called dating. Getting to know the person. Getting all the information you can. Ask questions. And by the way, to do this, it takes time. You're not trying to be rash. You're considering the state of your flocks. You're, you're acting with understanding and knowledge. So you're counting the cost. Then what you do is step is you compare and you consider. Compare your options with what are the Bible commands and principles. What are your abilities? What are your interests? You look for the opportunities. Is there an open door? Is this a possibility? Is it reasonable? Then what you do is you go for counsel. You ask wise, godly, experienced people to give some input. So you have counsel involved. Then you finally come to a point where you decide and you move forward and you trust that God, if he isn't in this, he'll close the doors. But in wisdom, I'm moving forward. And you're trusting the Lord. So we come down to this story. We come back to this. And she's interested in this guy online. Is there any principle that should give her direction on what to do? Be ye not... Okay, that's, it's, it's just a no-brainer for that one from a Christian. Is there any principles here for the guy who has the jobs and job offer? Does it take me away from God and family? Because he didn't know. Do you remember how, I, how it was read? He couldn't answer any questions about church. How do you move somewhere and take your family when you don't even have any clue about church? You know, to think that through and to affect his family in that regard. The bottom line is money is not everything. It is better to have a peaceful household and eating, how does he say? It's better to have peace in the house than eating where there is the, the it's talking about the animal, the, the beast or the cattle is in the, is in the stall. It's better, better not to have that than to have peace in your household. So here's one, this woman, should she get rid of the kids? I know we're all tempted to say, yes, yeah, that's biblical principle. Whose responsibility is it to train the kids? It's the parents, okay? It's the parents' responsibility. What would you advise this? I know what I'd advise her to do. Do what? Rent <laughs> Don't get rid of them permanently. Bring them back at 16 or 17, right? What did Mark Twain said? say? Put them in a barrel, yeah, and put the pound on the lid, and then when they're 16, put a cork in the barrel <laughs> and let them out when they're late or something like that. I know what I would ask this person. I would ask them to examine the way they're training their kids. Okay, if there is issues going on here, you know, what's the dad's input? How is their support? How are they working as parents with the kids that are becoming? And we all know that there are some cases that it's not, it's, it's not cookie cutter, but the majority of people, the kids who are getting out of control, that's because, yeah, it's, it's a reflection on where the parents are giving control. Be open to counsel in this area and the contentment aspect. And so uh, I, I would direct them to, instead of selling off the kids or renting them out, I would say do some self-examination here. Oops. Um, so we come back to the bottom line is that you and I are seeking to, to honor Christ to the best of our abilities. These are practical steps. Use them, teach them, help your kids to process how to determine the will of God. Teach them this process in little things so they have it for major life experiences. Father, thank you so much for the, uh, the input of these people. Thank you for the simplicity of your word in a complicated issue. Help us to be wise, to be knowledgeable, 
to be committed to staying to the best of our ability and knowledge within your will day by day by day. And thank you for the way that you have blessed these folk who are doing that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much.